0: Welcome to Expanding Reality. I am your host, Brandon Thomas. On this episode, I got to sit down with Richard Rokeby. He wrote the book, The Lights Upon the Hills, The Burton-Dasset UFO Events of 1923. Now, this is a crazy cool story, guys. And we go really, really deep on this one as far as different theories about UFOs, entities, poltergeist activity. Uh, there's Civil War battles of ancient England in there. It's It's really cool. There's a incredible church i mean it's got everything guys so check it out uh, of course all the ways to find richard and his amazing book are linked down in the show notes this is a truly awesome episode and a very fun story so you guys without any further ado richard rokeby all right everybody out there in listening world we have the honor of having richard rokeby on the program today richard how are you today buddy
1: i'm, I'm very good brandon thank you ever so much for inviting me on
0: Absolutely. And we actually have done this before. Uh, We were just talking about it a little bit beforehand. I just had some studio issues earlier on in the days here. And um, I I was just so fascinated by you and your story. And of course, your wonderful book that I wanted to have you back on. Uh, So thank you so much for being so gracious and understanding. And he was so sweet, guys. He just said, absolutely. I completely understand. I'll be back on any time. So thank you. uh, No,
1: It's a a pleasure. No problem. I was happy to talk.
0: Cool. Well, uh, for my audience that doesn't know too much about you, Uh, let's uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself, my friend.
1: Okay, so yeah, I'm uh, Richard uh, Rugby. I'm uh, an author and a researcher, and I've um, sort of specialized in uh, UFO sightings, I suppose, for my last book. But uh, I do like to think I look at a sort of broader... Uh, theatre uh, of interest so I, I look at um, what could be termed as um, forbidden knowledge or forbidden uh, forbidden history alternative history so I have a, a wide range of interests um, but that's what's ufology that's always sort of stayed with me over the years.
0: So cool. And yes, your book, The Lights Upon the Hills, uh, is something I was fascinated by, man. Philip Mantle reached out because you're under Flying Disc Press, along with the Kinsella Boys and uh, a handful of other incredible authors, man. Uh, Trey Hudson, of course. And all you guys are just wonderful, man. Uh, your stories are fascinating. You guys are incredibly well-spoken. And you're just a joy to experience in life. So thanks again for your time. I, so about your book, what, what inspired you to write this thing?
1: Uh, yeah, so I suppose the, the, the story found me, really. Um, I, I moved, I uh, was a police officer in, in London. I, I remained a police officer, but remo- uh, moved up to the Midlands of England. Uh, and when I first uh, moved to Warwickshire, which is where I'm based, I thought I'll do a bit of uh, research around the uh, local history. And I picked up a couple of books, and one of the books was called uh, The Ghosts of Warwickshire by a really respected um, local historian called um, Betty Smith. And I had a look through that book and uh, I'm, I'm not that interested in, in ghosts. I, th- I, I don't think they have their place. But um, to me, it was more to do with the history and see what stories were out there. Uh, and within that ghost book, there was the normal stories of, you know, devil dogs and uh, phantom monks and grey ladies. But one one story really um, sort of stood out to me. And it was uh, this account of, of lights on Burton Dacid hills. Uh, and um, I, I read it. It was only a very short Chapter two or three pages, and I just felt there was more to that story. But also with my interest in ufology, what what I felt was this this wasn't a ghost sighting; it was actually a really well witnessed um, UFO or UAP event. Um, And I just felt it deserved um, a a deep dive into it to find out what the story was. And um, uh, you know, it's fair to say I, I, I found out you know what i found was amazing and and there was far more to it than you know first uh, first was projected in that one chapter
0: absolutely and in your book you talk about the warwickshire history i mean you you really do a deep dive on this and this this account this sighting and and i'd like to get into it so tell us about the sighting are you specifically talking about the winter of
1: 1923 yeah um, yes yeah, 1923 it sort of reached a bit of a, a peak it's, it sort of started december um, 1922 those those sort of uh, sightings and it started with local people seeing lights on, on the hills which is where the um, title of the book comes from and describing these lights as uh, white, reddy, bluish small orbs um, sometimes on their own sometimes in, in groups uh, moving at different uh, speeds and altitudes uh, but all centred really on on burton dasett and um burton burton dasett uh was a it's now a country park um it's not very big it's probably uh less than a mile square uh, but it, in the there's a rich history there so there's there's an iron age fort um there where there's there's, there's graves from an old iron age uh, settlement there it was um a a marketplace or uh, market area during the sort of middle ages. And the reason for that is it's quite prominent. So uh, Warwickshire is generally very flat and, and rolling countryside. So um, for your um, American and worldwide listeners, if, if they want imagine Hobbiton out of Lord of the Rings from the, uh, from the films, and they see those green rolling hills, that's very much what Warwickshire is like, the countryside. But um, out of nowhere... Uh, rise, rise these series of five to six hills in quite a distinct pattern, uh, rise out to the landscape, and that, that is Burton Dassett Hill. So it was easy to be seen um, around the countryside, hence it was used as a sort of market area. And following the market came a small town. There was a small Saxon church there that, um, you know, for reasons I'm sure we'll cover later on, was, was given a, quite a big investment and became a very significant for the area. Um, but then uh, the Black Death took its toll and a series of sort of uh, 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 evil landlords, for want of a better word, or, uh, overtaxing the, the local populace meant that it was, it was deserted. So it, it then became an area for, you know, from about the, the mid um, 16, 1700s, where people would just go to relax on a, on a Sunday or, you know, walk, walk the hills. But in, in December, around about December 1922, these reports start coming in of the lights, uh, and people were going up there to see if they could see them. And um, in, in the book, I detail around about eight um, good accounts, you know, solid good high witness accounts. But there was probably hundreds of people that saw these lights, and it, and it, and it came to a sort of fever pitch. Uh, As you said, Brandon, around about uh, February 1923, when the papers, the local newspapers started getting involved and started turning up uh, and uh, writing stories about it. So that's that's when it sort of uh, came to its peak and it it became a a national sensation because newspapers from London and Birmingham uh, were sending people up to sort of view these lights.
0: Yeah. And when you talk about the flap of the 1922, 1923 from December to February, that was a real tight little spot. There's a lot that happened in there, including George White's account. So it, in your book, you detail how it, he felt it when it flew over and he was with two companions. So it suggests something tangible or something that can interact with at least our sense of touch.
1: Yeah, that, that, that's right. I mean, I, I, I read the accounts. It was my accounts are based on newspaper articles and Betty Smith's book, but certainly from the newspaper article from the Banbury Gazette. George White, who's a local carpenter, works on the estate. Um, he's heard about these lights and is probably a bit cynical, so decides uh, with his uh, couple of friends, he's going to go up on the hills, take field glasses or so binoculars. To see these, see these, see these lights, and uh, all three of the party do do see the the, the lights and the objects. But um, as you said, there, what he just says is he actually he says I to the paper I felt them go over me, and I thought the use of that word was was really really interesting. Oh yeah, uh, and that because uh, that suggests uh, you know some sort of downward pressure, uh, some sort of change in the atmospherics. Um, and it, it yeah, as you said, it's, it suggests a physical presence rather than just um, an illusion or uh, lights moving around, or what was what was later attributed to the lights, which was um, you know the, the ufologists' uh, nemesis, which is marsh gas, um, which is which is uh, you know um, put forward so often for these sort of things. Um, but you know, from what George White was saying, is no, he he felt something go over him. Uh, which su- suggests something tangible, if not a craft, then something something more tangible certainly. Yeah, at least an
0: entity, something, right? Something that would affect the atmosphere, as you said.
1: Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Yeah, I th- and I, and I think um, it, it, you know there was there was a number of sightings on that time, but people were going up the hills to see the lights and then reporting back that they'd seen them. Uh, And it's worth saying, uh, you know, around that time, they they were were being attributed to ghosts or specters. And that's very much of its time, I think, because uh, spiritualism uh, had had a bit of a renaissance. Um, It... it, uh, I mean, I, I, I don't know if you're, you or your, you know, your listeners know this, but spiritualism really took off after the American Civil War um, and then was brought over to the United Kingdom shortly after the end of the American Civil War by two sisters who um, had sort of toured America and then were brought to London. Uh, and they would give performances, and it really introduced spiritualism in its modern form to the, to the United Kingdom. It had a uh, had a bit of a um, sort of interest at that time, but following, you know, the the, the deaths that came out of, the, of the, not only the First World War but the Spanish Flu, of course, people f- people felt that um, through spiritualism they could reconnect with their lost sons and daughters, um, and uh, it was a bit of a known practice throughout the country, not just in Warwickshire, for people on a Sunday if there was reports of some lights. Which wasn't that common at all, but uh, occasionally there reports of some lights. People would go up and see if they could see the ghosts, for want of a better word, uh, on the on the hills, and that's really how it was interpreted at the time. And that is completely understandable. It is completely understandable that. Uh, people would want that, um, that cooperation around spirits because I think, well, if spirits can exist there, you know, my, my son that was killed in the First World War might be, be out there somewhere and we can re- reconnect. But I just think if you look through it, the modern lens, uh, orbs of light changing colours, moving, exerting downward pressure, moving in, you know, people uh, in the reports said they seem to be searching for something. Um, you know, there's a report of it illuminating a whole house, um, which means directing, you know, vast amount of energy and light uh, into a, a fairly focused point. You know, that that is not the traditional uh, form that ghosts take. And, uh, you know, looking at it through what we know now, uh, you know, it, it seems to be more like a, a mass U, UAP event.
0: It does. And it's interesting what you said about uh, the U.S. giving spiritualism to the U.K. So I'm grateful that we could influence you guys on something positive, you know, and not just something like reality TV. So that's that's pretty cool.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm, 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 I'm sure there's there's lots of things. There's lots of things you can influence us on, including the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Champs to be on our team. So and did rather well this year. So there's lots of positive things come from the States.
0: Yeah. And another way to cook food instead of boiling everything. <laughs>
1: that's, that's right you know if he, if we can't boil it let's griddle it
0: that's right i'm let's, in the I'm south we so. just fry it you know everything <laughs> um, yeah well I, I do like the uap connection and what's interesting about this too is it seems to be a very, very visual b- phenomenon and it m- The presence of either spirit or a small UFO or UAP, because, I mean, they can take many forms. It might not be a nuts and bolts craft, you know, that could still be considered a UAP or UFO event. It just could be something a little bit less conventional than we're used to seeing. And so whenever whenever we talk about it illuminating an entire house, well, it must have wanted to see something there and needed visual light to achieve it. Now, what's interesting on this is two levels in my mind is that number one, uh, it's a visual thing. It's almost like a scouting drone or something like that. And even though it doesn't take a physical form that you can view, um, it might just be a small little... I don't know, piece of technology that's completely illuminated, and that we can't rule out either because we haven't been able to really study these things, right? And the way that they behave and perform um, is very interesting as well, but also I find it interesting that if it is a spirit or a super high technology or something like that, what's the need for the illumination? Is that a byproduct of their existence or the technology that powers the craft, or is that something that they that's necessary for them to see? like we do, do they take in their surroundings via, you know, light waves as we do photons hitting a receptor? Um, you know, it's just, it's interesting. It, may, it just makes me ask a lot of questions.
1: No, I mean, it's, it's a really good point. Certainly from the um, descriptions we get uh, to uh, from 1923, to me, it, 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 there are sentient objects. Um, I think there is a, there is a, um, there's a, there's a discussion to have about whether they're nuts and bolts craft, but they certainly are interacting with the, with their community. Uh, uh, and um, I do think they have a purpose um, and it could be something to do with the iron ore. Um, I offer a, a hypothesis in my book that it could be the setup of the hills because the three uh, prominent hills uh, that, um, that face sort of the western direction. So out, out from the from the west there is nothing really until you get to the sort of black mountains of wales it it's it, and, and the malvin hills which are of a, of a similar height so um these three hills for this area of the country is quite prominent uh, and uh, you know so there's a hypothesis that I've, I've detailed in the book about whether actually um magpie hill windmill hill and beacon hill are set out in a in a sort of in a line of three with one slightly offset. Um, in February, the uh, three stars of a, of a Ryan's belt are directly above it. And these um, uh, sightings you know reach the fever pitch in February. It, it could be coincidence, but I think the whole thing with Burton Dassett is you, you've got these elements that if they're on their own, you would say, "Mm, well, that could be coincidence. So if there was light seen on some hills, okay, that could be explained. But then if you've got a a, a, a church in that area that has really unusual paintings and carvings, that's something else. Then if you've got three hills that just happen to be in the shape of Orion's belt, and in February, Orion is standing directly above them, well, now you're starting to get somewhere. And then finally... What else do we need? Well, we need a military base and there's a military base, literally a stone's throw away from these hills, all in an area which is, a, you know, uh, the, the size probably uh, in the States of I mean, an average park. You know, it, I, I, you know, it is a small, re- relatively small area. Um, so once you get all those elements in, I, I think it's telling us a really interesting story about, about that area.
0: I completely agree. Those are the elements, and you—you're right. You check all the boxes because even and the military base is sometimes overlooked. So this is why I know you're a great researcher is because you asked that specific question right there. Uh, so let me ask you then about the hills because uh, something you said about the Orion connection is very interesting. So do they align damn near perfectly, like the spacing and everything, to the three stars in Orion, the three predominant stars in Orion's belt?
1: Yes yeah, so if you um, if you look at a map on the floor you'll see that there is uh, Magpie Hill Windmill Hill and then just off to the right is Beacon Hill uh, Magpie Hill and, and Windmill Hill are the two bigger hills Beacon Hill is the smaller one if you lay down flat a bit like the uh, we have in the you know the the great uh, pyramids there Although there is some argument that you can reverse that, and it's, a, it's like a mirror image, you still get two large and one small, slightly off to the side. Then, if you look at, uh, you know, Orion, you get the two large stars and the uh, Mintaka, which is the smallest one, slightly off uh, 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 from the from the line. So, yeah, so you, you do get this this sort of image. Play down in the hills. Now, I, I'm, I'm not I'm not saying that's definitely the reason. But what I'm saying is there's another interesting fact that through my research, because, I, you know, I, I do like to get out to the ground and you know get boots on the ground. And we, we uh, I went out with uh, a friend on, on a number of occasions in February just just to understand the area myself. And we set off very late at night, 11 o'clock at night uh walking up the hill in, in february yeah head uh with red head torches on uh so we didn't ruin our night vision going up the shrub uh leading up to the hills and as i as i looked up it, it was just striking you know I've, i was fortunate to have a clear night in the middle of what was a fairly stormy sort of time of year and you can see orion just as if his perch stood on uh on the hills uh, and the th- the three lines of the the three dots of the Ryan's belt uncannily match these three dots of the, of the three prominent hills um uh in burn that's it and another interesting fact i was on another uh, radio show, and um, it was pointed out to me that actually the, the Pleiades play play a big part in in Orion and its significance as well. So you know, there, there's maybe some work to do. Well, if, if Orion belt matches up with these three hills, where would Pleiades be? Where would um, Sirius be? You know, the you know, how far do you how far do you take it?
0: Yeah, exactly. That's a great question. You know, and the fact that they line up uh, so so clearly and all, with all the anomalous activity that goes on there, it makes me think that, I mean, is there any evidence to suggest that they could possibly be man-made, but from an ancient, ancient culture? Oh, uh, yeah.
1: No, that, I mean, that is a really good point, not something I've, I've looked into. Um, I don't I don't think so. I think the geography of the place would suggest it's pretty much um, iron ore, sediment, <laughs> Um, the uh, the I mean the ironworks were a, a major part of. uh and said there was a, there was an iron age village uh, there before anything, <laughs> and then um, there was iron still being iron ore still being collected so right up till the end of uh, the First World War. So the the iron, which of course you know in its rawest form does have magnetic properties as well, may 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 well. Have some influence on on what do these do these lights in, um, and I think that's why people make the link perhaps between these lights and the Hessel lights because I think uh, that that the the sort of um, growing theory around that is that actually the the, the lights are sometimes somehow caused by uh, the geography of of the area and it's maybe. Being produced underground and then manifesting itself in in, into the air. I do think the Hassel and lights are a bit more natural. They seem to, from what I've seen, they seem to appear fairly quickly on a fairly uh, straight path and then then disappear. But I'm told that there's other ones that move around. Whereas I think the the lights from Burton Dassett do seem to be under more sentient control. Have do seem to have a purpose, whatever that purpose is. Is I guess.
0: You know, and it makes you think of if this is a natural phenomenon, A couple of things. Number one, if it's uh, there's underground aquifers that could result in some piezoelectric phenomena above ground. You know, as the water recedes, or in even like uh, crop circles, I know are affected by um, the rise and and recedence of water underground. So um, perhaps uh, there's an area. there are areas of this phenomenon that occur naturally as far as them manifesting as lights or orbs, but it's a completely natural phenomena, not under sentient control, like you said. But the, the lights that are under sentient control could be doing what other UAP witnesses have reported, which is changing shape to mimic a local phenomena in the area as to not draw as much attention to themselves.
1: Yeah I think that's a, that's a really good point you know is it some sort of uh, is it some sort of camouflage uh, is it is it a byproduct of something else you know going on um so you, yeah I mean you know that my time as a uh, police officer you know you always want to ask the question you know the big question is motive why you know why and 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 that is the big gap isn't it when it comes to ufology you know I said we see all these fantastic things uh, you, know, how, you know, it goes back to the old um, course, how much evidence do people want? Because yes, <laughs> when you look at the, you. The, uh, the reports, it's difficult to deny. And we've had the uh, Nimitz and the Roosevelt uh, encounters now. But no one's really asking the question, why? And, and, and that is the big question. Why are these craft moving around? Why were these lights here? And that is the real difficult thing. That is the real difficult thing. And I've I, I put forward a hypothesis uh, you know, people can then read it and, sit and, and see what they think. But we really, we, we don't know why any of these lights are. There's lots of craft and, and, and UAPs and UFOs moving around and, you know, the, the abduction phenomenon and all that sort of th- uh, things that are going on. The big question is, is why? What is the big, what, what is the big picture? Why, what, why are these things happening? And, you know, that's what makes it so interesting and fascinating, I suppose.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. You know, and an interesting question that I think everybody who looks into this phenomena could should be asking ourselves is, you know, would we be okay if it's just simply study? Like if it's just that we're whales or, you know, dolphins or gorillas or something to them that they just study and interact with only on the level of research? Like, are we going to be okay if that's the answer?
1: Yeah, I mean that—that that is a that is a good point. Um yeah, I mean yeah I I, I, I do we have a choice, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> you know, do do we do it do we have do we do we really have any influence on it? I mean, I, I'm I'm very I think I'm very much of the of the nuts and bolts camp. You know, I, I think we need to get uh, I think there's a there's a there's a place for this spirit perhaps more spiritualist side of it the um interdimensional side of it without a doubt uh, and people make some really good cases around that but but for me it, i think how you're really going to influence change how you're really going to get people to sit up and notice is is through nuts and bolts craft is through the um the sort of the sort of uh, film that w- w- that's now been released and um, that does make people you know rightly or wrongly Uh, That does make the general public and the government sit up and take notice. So I think that's really what we've got to try and focus on. And, um, yeah, I'm hopeful, you know, we will get that, uh, you know, that that uh, killer piece of evidence, you know, some sometime soon.
0: Yeah. And it it seems to be parceled out uh, in a way that's appeasing, but not revealing. It's in, in my mind, man, the more that I look at it, I think the governments know exactly what's going on. Uh, I think that they know absolutely what it is. There's some massive secrets that, um, people have been, uh, led to believe. And, um, as as far as the cover-up of what's really going on in and, and our whole reality, I think there's a lot of our reality that seems very, very stable that's probably not, and that they know that, and it's all pretty much connected. And back to what you said about the interdimensional phenomena, I love that one as well, because I think nuts and bolts is interesting, and I'm not ruling it out. You, and, and if the, I guess the best thing about all of the theories of what UAPs or UFOs are is all of them could be entirely possible at the same time. They don't need... Yes, any... that's
1: right. Yeah, yeah, there's no... I don't, you're, you're dead right. There's no, I don't think there's a single answer, is there? It, it'll be a mi- like everything. Life is, is generally more complicated than you give it credit for. And I, and I don't think there'll be a single answer. It'll be a mixture of things when, once, once, if and when we finally know.
0: I hope it's all of them. I hope it is things coming from other planets. I hope it is interdimensional beings. Also, I hope it's yeah. Earth. I hope it's you know future humans coming back in time machines. I hope everything yeah. that we think. Well,
1: I mean that that is I mean that is a really that is a really good point. They're, they're not mutually uh, ex- exclusive. either. and um, you know I'm I'm doing some research around um, currently around the uh, UFO sightings. Uh, predominantly in the UK, but also in America, from the 1950s. And the, there, was, there is there is something that says to me that um, the number of sightings, uh, some some of them might be, you know, human technology that have been a bit like we've got now, where we're wondering if the tic tacs are actually Chinese drones or whatever. But I think maybe that in the in the 50s, some of those sightings were actually. Um, human or advanced civilization based, or like the Foo Fighters or something like that. Well, possibly, possibly, yeah. The Foo Fighters. So, there's theories coming on now about whether the Foo Fighters were, in fact, um, a um, a foreign uh, power's uh, weapon. Um, I'm, I'm not. I'm not so sh- sure about, the, about that one. But set whether some of the sightings around UFOs were from advanced craft or advanced civilizations. But uh, it, going back to your point, I think. I think you know, a pretend, you know, there is, I think it reached a peak around about 1958 or something, maybe a bit later, maybe 1962, where the, the United Kingdom National Archives had all, uh, held all the sightings and it suddenly drops off, 62. You know, we've had all these sightings through the 50s and then suddenly it starts to drop off. Now, when you look at the number of sightings that there is, just for sort of 1958 alone, there's, you know, thousands. So, um, you know all them can't all them sightings can't be attributed to one thing you know some of the things you you mentioned there some of them might be human technology some of them might be interdimensional some of them might be um uh alien craft some of them you know could be our future selves. and and i i I do think that that is maybe the way forward with it all rather than paint them all with the same brush
0: yeah i completely agree and i think it'd be more fun, right? I mean, just intellectually, it'd be way more fun if all of these things were true at the same time. And, you know, it's interesting what you said about the flaps, because yes, they went from, you know, the Kenneth Arnold to the Uh, Roswell to the flyover of the Capitol or the, uh, yeah, the Capitol building and they kind of progress in that way but real art deco and even the crafts evolve over time, like their visual appearance what they look like, it kind of changes with the psychology of everybody here and so that was our pre-space flight um, era and that's when you know, the first widely reported flaps were occurring and then you go into kind of like you said a break after 58 but in 61 of course with Betty and Barney Hill, now you're talking about the abduction phenomena really ramping up and then all the way up to the pascagoula incident in the 70s i mean it's there's some incredible ways that the phenomena has progressed that's been very interesting but um i i think also though like you said about the light specifically that in how there's different locations that's either these are reported you think about like marfa or the min min lights in australia and it's this area of the where this specific type of activity occurs and it's very very interesting now back to the foo fighters it in I I like attempting to connect the dots on all these crazy theories, right? It's just one of the fun parts about it because a lot of times you can find that. Sometimes it's and it's all really speculative because you have to kind of go into the story or the idea that it's true in the first place. Right. So if you think Mm. about um, the stories of Operation High Jump and of Admiral Byrd going down to Antarctica and about the Nazis creating this huge base down there, New Schwabenland. And then about the reports of the battle that took place there with high technology that was Nazi craft, you know, looking at something like the FUFA and then of well, and then leading, of course, onto the secret space programs and breakaway civilizations and all that. Um, you you kind of can then look at the Foo Fighters as if, yeah, maybe that was a Nazi or a foreign power technology um, that was already in use and it was just so ahead technologically that we couldn't fathom it to be anything man-made at all. It had to be described as an undescribable phenomenon, you know?
1: Yeah, yes. I think there's certainly something um, in, in that. And the... Uh, it could, it could, of course, be you know, third-rate um, technology uh, that was doing the food, food fighters. I think the, the, I think an idea was put forward of releasing something like them in order to mess with radar, etc. But I think the reports from the food fighters, and it's not just uh, Western Europe, of course. They're, they're reported in the Japanese Pacific Theatre of War as well, but they don't, they don't seem to be causing much harm. So if they are being released as an um, anti-aircraft type weapon. They're, they're pretty ineffective, to be honest, because I think a lot of the reports are just saying that they seem to be circulating the craft or following the craft and then dis- dissipating off. There's no real reports that I can see where it says where well, it's messing with instruments or we have to turn back or, um, you know, d- different from the, the Iranian um, experience. In, I think it was 76 where the two Iranian fighters went up over Tehran to confront yes. two UFOs and their, and their weapons wouldn't work.
0: Yes with, yes. with the
1: food fighters, it tends to be more passive, uh, but they are up there. But yeah, I mean, you mentioned Operation Hydrant, which again is, is uh, something I've read into. And I, I've just read recently that um, the only time in history that the um, uh, America and the USSR uh, worked together on nuclear uh, testing was in 1958 in uh, the Antarctic, um, which it seems a really strange thing doesn't it?
0: It is and you know the story I think this is Operation Fishbowl right?
1: Right. Yes, it could be. Yes. Yeah. Okay.
0: So what they were doing down there is shooting nukes up in the sky to see if they could break what, what they call, why it was called Operation Fishbowl was because of the theory that um like a flat Earth and a, a Oh
1: right yes at the dome
0: and a firmament above us right and so they yeah. were t- attempting yeah. to break through this thing. Now what's interesting is reports say that they launched a rocket up thirteen thousand feet and it exploded on impact, meaning that it hit something translucent and it you know, destroyed itself. And so how much I, and and it's stories like that and it's reports like that, man, that trip me the hell out because yes, it is monumental (laughs) that the USSR and the Americans were working together. And especially right after high jump, you're talking about right after the cold war. I mean, right. after And we're down there blasting off nukes. Like we're a couple of kids shooting bottle rockets in the front yard. And yeah. It's 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 interesting how that plays out, but then also it lends to the idea again that all of it could be a deception. We could be Richard. You ready for this? We could be living on a flat plane. Are you prepared to wrap your mind around that?
1: Um, I, I would I would say no, if I'm mm-hmm. if I'm honest. Have you looked into uh, it at all? I, I, no, I, I I I just think I have mean, traveled uh, quite widely. I could see how it would work. So once you know the bits I understand, I think I could see how it would be work how it could work in terms of it being a disk. And it was interesting how how the you know the illustration I saw had effectively Antarctica, which is massive. I mean that's another massive mystery by the way, isn't it? Which was which it could be a continent in itself that has that has slipped down through. Um, the the crusts moving, the Earth's crust moving, and I, and I saw an illustration where it had that around the whole of the sort of what would be Earth's disc, and I thought, oh yeah, that that could actually work actually because it would it would feel the same like being on a sphere. But I I, I just think the way that physics matches up, the way that satellites have to be set, um, I think I think it would be it would have been known by now. If, if that was the case. but again I was reading together about the, the hollow Earth uh, theory and uh, there was um, a, uh, a rocketeer in, in Germany in, around about 1909 so similar to the site not too far away from the sightings uh, at um, Dasset And he was given funding by a Munich the Munich uh, sort of uh, Institute for science to build a rocket. But he wanted to fire the rocket from Munich into New Zealand through the center of the earth and, and they said, well we're not sure about that let's just see if you can if you can fly it up in the air first um, And he, he took that funding and it d- didn't go that well but he was his original um, his original business plan if you like was well I want to fly a rocket through the center of the earth and we'll pop out in New Zealand Wow. <laughs> Yeah, the, it checks out, right? <laughs> yeah, it, could, it could do, but people were be, were willing to say, "Well, yeah, you could try that next." But you know, initially, just see if you can get it to fly up in the air. Yeah, baby steps, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. that's right. right. Yeah. yeah,
0: let's let's start here, buddy. Uh, okay, well, uh, let's talk about the church, man. And and I'm interested. I wanna I wanna hear what you have to say about the church, and also I'm curious about ley lines and stuff like that. So uh, go ahead and tell us about this awesome church that you found.
1: Yes, yeah, so they, they're within uh, Burton Desert uh, Hills, so, as I said, it's a relatively small um, area. But there is this um, unusual church in as much as the size of it. So it's often called the Cathedral in the Cotswolds or the Cathedral in the Hills. And um, All Saints Church started off as a fairly small Saxon Nave, and then seemed to probably about the time that the markets uh, was popular and the wool trade was was taking off. So Middle Ages uh, in the uh, in England, it seems to have a major investment, and um, the, the church is, is a size where it is. It's it's in the hills, but it's in a dip in the hills, so it's not as if you can see it from uh, the bottom of the hill. You know, it's not in, particularly in a predominant place. Um, so it is a bit of a strange place and and for its size you would have thought people are showing up, so the the location is interesting but the the, the, um, uh, church itself, um, I I describe it when you first go in uh, as um, sparse but expansive, so you walk into it and it does feel like you're in a huge space, not quite the size of a cathedral but certainly a bigger than normal church and above the archway where you first go to on the northern door there are carved into the archway um small orbs like a series of orbs which again is quite unusual for church normally you get some sort of pattern or perhaps a um, religious inscription this had orbs around the inside uh, of, of the of the northern door and then as you as you walk in you're sort of met by these columns so there's columns both sides but on the northern side the, the columns are engraved uh, and they have some these really um, strange and beautiful carvings. Uh, now, the northern side of the church was always perceived as the evil side of a church. So uh, any gargoyles or anything that would be w- used to ward away evil spirits wa- were on the northern side. And it just so happens that the northern side <coughs> of the church does face towards the hills. So again, is that coincidence? So is that is it being cited for that for that reason? But the, the carvings show a number of different um uh, pi- uh pictures and illustrations um and scenes so uh, one of the carvings is of the green man um which the green man is an ancient um English symbol which um is not uh it's not uncommon in in, in churches it does appear in in churches but it's still quite quite rare and uh the idea behind that was uh, the pagan man which is a, a, sorry a, the green man is half man, half um, oak tree and vegetables and, and grass. And uh, he's made of organic matter, but in the shape of a man. And you could take it all the way back to Roman times, I, I guess, if you pushed it. But the, the Christian church used to use it to symbolise a joining together of, of two religions. So the, um, the earth, the oak tree would be the pagan side of it, and the man would be Jesus and Christianity. So it, it was used to illustrate that joining of, uh, of two religions. So that's in the church. But there, there is, you know, something else that would suggest perhaps it's actually the joining of two worlds. You know, was it was it carved there? All, all the artwork and the carvings come from the 14th century. We were all sort of done about the same time, about the, church, the time the church was expanded. And then there's other carvings that show uh, strange hybrid creatures, uh, half men half sort of dragon or lizard type creatures uh, and my and my favorite is um, there is a, a, a country scene where a dog is, is chasing a hare, I um, was you know a small rabbit and and that's uh, it the word dasit it is Old English for the hunt but the on part of that um, uh, uh, carving there's also animals that are upside down so they've been carved upside down so as if they're being levitated uh, up into the air they're, they're upside down and I, ju- I just think that's that's absolutely fascinating so you know all again it fits into this area this, this strange and beautiful area about you know why have those curvings carvings which are relatively rare um, in in uh, English churches um you know just just particularly on on this site.
0: You know, and it's interesting that they do depict them upside down because, yeah, now you're thinking about abduction phenomena with and mutilation, cattle mutilations. In the U.S., we have those reports, and that's kind of the iconic, you know, uh, UFO hovering above, a beam of light comes down, and then, you know, tractor beams this thing up to its craft to go do with it whatever it wants. Again, it could be part of a study or something like that, but it's also interesting that it's that you interpreted as being depicted that way in the church. I think that's really, really cool. Now, um, when was the church built again? About what time?
1: Uh, yeah, so, well, the the, cha- the church originally dates from, uh, well, it was certainly there in Saxon times, and it was recorded in the Doomsday Survey of uh, 1086. Um, and the church was in, uh, made bigger in the 13th century. Uh, but the carvings and the, uh, the paintings date from around the 14th century. So it's so a really, you know, you know, uh, uh, really quite a long, long way back.
0: Yeah. And all before that, um, civil war battle, the English civil war battle of October 23rd of 1642 that you talk about in your book. So yes. Yeah, no,
1: that that's right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so edge Hill isn't too far away. There was a battle of edge Hill, which was the first real time that, uh, Royalist forces forces and parliamentary forces met up for a battle. Uh, it wasn't too far away and it was a bit of a score draw, um, and both sides limped away, and actually, if it had been settled there, we probably wouldn't have had another five, five years of the English Civil War, but they, they were sort of evenly matched, and, and the uh, local legend is that uh, Oliver Cromwell, who was uh, the leader of the parliamentarians, actually sat out the battle um, on, in Burton-Dasset. Uh, you would get a good, uh, good, good view of Edge Hill from there. So yeah, so that that was around about the yeah mid seventeenth uh,
0: century, sixteenth century. You know, and and this is why we when you talk about the light phenomena, uh, it's another thing that could be like you said a spirit or a ghost apparition. I mean, we can't rule anything out on this, right? And so with with this though, it what I'm reminded of is like Gettysburg over here in the States from the Civil War mm. and it's still a very, very haunted place as far as there seems to be some sort of like a paranormal time loop that everything's on and there are certain predictable moments where certain predictable things occur um, and you'll hear gunfire and you'll hear men screaming and stuff like that and so whenever major energy disrupt disruptions occur such as a war a very bloody battle or something like that you know it could create some sort of rift in whatever this reality is that then replays the event or manifests it in lights in some way or something like that i mean it's all of it's got to be considered
1: oh yeah definitely i I think there is something about heightened people's heightened emotions uh when they when you know uh murder scenes etc or places of of quite big disasters. Uh, you know that that is a is a terrifying thing for a human being, and there their emotions are literally going through the top of their heads. Uh, and I, I I do think there is you know a good argument for that being captured in space and time, captured in buildings. some something like uh, the Battle of Edge Hill, where there hadn't been a serious battle in in um, in England probably from baden hill in the ninth century um or perhaps even before then you know it it was still relatively we you know for its time it was a quite a major event and it was at the peak of its technology as well so um obviously firearms are being used cannons are being used and the the soldiers that went through that we're, were experiencing something up until that point, no one had ever done in the United Kingdom uh, or in England, and their emotions—you know—you can imagine the fear, the trepidation, the horror, um, you know, the, all those emotions. I've got when, when it's on such a large scale. I think it was around about fifteen thousand uh, people took part in that battle. You know, it's it's got to be captured. You know, I'm sure you've gone to you know sports stadiums. You can sort of sense. The crowds that have been in there before, you know, it all adds to the atmosphere. Uh, and I think there is there is certainly something in it. And, you know, the Battle of Edge Hill is said to replay out around Christmas time every few years. And they can hear the firing of cannons and the crying of horses and the screams of men dying. Um, you know, and that, that is, a, is is often reported. You know and
0: whenever you do come across places of high energy like you're talking about like that yes there is a massive impact on it so in in my mind also there's no coincidences so the fact that this phenomena visually, the lights there, the possible animal abductions depicted in the church and the engravings, as well as the um, all the other phenomena associated with the area since a long time before. It seems like the church, with its conception, could have been put there on purpose, which leads me to my point. So perhaps people are drawn to certain areas. There are certain shaman and geo-surveyors that will go out in ancient cultures and survey an area and get spoken to either via some sort of psychedelic uh, alteration to their senses and so they're more tapped in in their belief system Uh, or they go out and survey an area with certain instruments like a certain magical stick or something like that the point is is that they will find the perfect spot and how they determine this they say is based on the energies so there is you know when we talk about ley lines in an energy grid across our planet uh, that could exist and that people can measure with either science or with these ancient practices it it says to the idea that these places are put here on purpose in these specific locations, to either magnify or utilize the whatever energies exist there. Now, um, and those could play a massive variety of impacts on those in that area and witnessing or attending those church services. Right, just like um, when you talk about Delphi and stuff like that, where there were gases that were being secreted by the mountain that made people trip balls. And so, yes, you are going to have a religious experience, but it was built there on purpose for that reason to utilize the natural energies of the earth. This one was just a little bit more scientifically verifiable right so with with this idea though you you think about the battle then occurring in that location and you think well were the armies led to that specific spot to meet at that specific time to feed into the energy of that area or were they just drawn there or was it just a big coincidence you know i think with things like this especially in an area of high f- strangeness then you you kind of can lead to these conclusions because it's not off the table again none of it's off the table right
1: yeah, that's right. And, you know, that is a good point. I mean, the, the, um, the two sides in the English Civil War weren't looking for each other. Actually, um, they were both heading down to London from Northern Strongholds and, and just happened to pick the same route. <laughs> they could have gone anywhere. One could have gone east, one could have gone west. Um, but actually, they both, both took west, both circled round um the sort of midlands uh would have been birmingham coventry and happened to meet up at the head chill and they sort of clashed into each other and you know you make a good point brandon about energy sucking people into certain places Um that certainly seemed one you know no one was looking for each other they, w- they wanted to avoid a battle if they could but they sort of clashed into each other so yeah that is a really good theory
0: Yeah. And it's just with these areas like this, man, it's fascinating. And then I'm reminded, you know, of the meadow, of course, Trey Hudson's book and um, how, how the phenomena out there kind of occurs in the same way. There's lights, there's all sorts of interesting things out there. Um, And, you know, it's, it's just, again, it's fascinating, man. It's fun to think about. I'm grateful that you wrote this book. I'm grateful that you're doing the research. Um, We'll probably wrap it up here in just a little bit Were there, was there anything else about it that you wanted to talk about?
1: Well, just, just briefly the paintings so i think uh, there's pictures in the book about the paintings but uh, yeah there there is um, some uh, beautiful 14th century medieval paintings in the church um uh, and uh, the, it pictures um, the Virgin Mary and Saint Michael, but there is there is two there is two kings that I think are really interesting, and, uh, and I'll I'll leave a, I'll leave a teaser for your audience, Brandon, by just saying I think uh, one of the kings uh, there is, is uh, telling a really interesting story about uh, visitations from the past, and um, how people enjoyed reading about it.
0: Richard with the cliffhanger. Nice job, man. <laughs> you guys uh, make sure to check out the book linked in the show notes uh, for all the ways to find Richard as well as his book. Uh, fantastic story, incredibly well written, man. Like I said, I'm, I'm grateful. You sent me an e-copy of the book and I'm grateful for it. It's, it's a wonderful read. It's very well done and it's a fascinating story. So you guys make sure to go down in the show notes and check that out for all the ways to find him. Uh, Richard, thank you so much for your time man. I really do appreciate you, my friend.
1: No, that's, that's brilliant. Always very nice to speak to you, Brandon. Uh, best of luck to you uh, for the future.
0: A massive thanks to Richard Rokeby for coming by and talking about all this amazing stuff, guys. Of course, go down in the show description and check the link to find his book uh, under Flying Disc Press. And uh, just enjoy the whimsy that way, guys. He's a phenomenal author and a really, really cool dude. So thank you again, Richard, for your time and your knowledge, man. Uh, So all the ways to find this show, guys, uh, is expandingrealitypodcast.com. That is where the links to all of the socials will be. The YouTube, the Patreon, all the good stuff is there. Um, Go on out into your week this week and pick up a piece of litter. Get out of the left-hand lane. Make sure that you keep a couple of extra bottles of water on you to pass out for folks. Uh, It's a little warm out there. And then also um, just go out into your world, guys. Enjoy the whimsy. Take a look around for some strange lights and see if uh, it could be related to the phenomena that we just talked about here. And while you're doing all of that, um, just be good to one another. y'all. Thank you all so much for listening. Have a great week. We'll see you next time.